the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we continue our study verse by verse, chapter by chapter through the Bible with Senior Pastor Will Ramirez. Today as we continue our study in the book of 1 Samuel, Saul, faced with certain defeat, decides to end his own life and leaves us with the question, does suicide void my salvation? We'll pick it up in 1 Samuel chapter 31 verse 1. The title of the message is, A Self-Destructive Heart. Remember the whole theme of 1 Samuel has been lessons from the heart. And so as we come to this final lesson, I wanted to share a couple of things with you at first. Pulitzer Prize winner Donna Tart in her 2016 novel, The Goldfinch, stated, Sometimes we want what we want, even if we know it's going to kill us. Sam Stevens, I don't know who he is, but his quote is all over the internet. He said, sometimes you hit a point where you either change or you self-destruct. The first quote I mentioned embodies Saul's life. He wants what he wants, even though he knows it's going to kill him. The second one, though, lists his options. You can either change or self-destruct. And Saul chose to self-destruct. And so as we close out 1 Samuel, we're going to get front row seats to his sad ending and be reminded that God doesn't promise to keep us from difficulties, but he does promise to help our wayward hearts if we'll repent. So chapter 31, beginning in verse 1. It says, Now the Philistines fought against Israel, and the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew Jonathan and Abinadab and Melchishua, Saul's sons. And the battle went sore against Saul, and the archers hit him, and he was sore wounded by the archers. And then said Saul unto his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through therewith, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor-bearer would not, for he was sore afraid, therefore... Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And when his armor-bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. And so Saul died and his three sons and his armor-bearer and all his men that same day together. Very sad lines in Scripture. We start here in verse 1. It says, now the Philistines fought against Israel. The word now there is while all the other stuff was going on with David that we read about in chapter 30 and 29. So while all that's going on, Israel and the Philistines are fighting a war. 
And so while things were bad indeed for David and his men, things were worse, far worse for the rest of Israel because their leader had turned his back to the Lord. And so as Samuel told Saul, the men of Israel fled from before the Philistines and fell down slain in Mount Gilboa. And when we read about everything that Samuel told Saul, did the thing Samuel told Saul ever not happen? I'm, I'm kind of minded of the passage in, I think it's First Kings, but it might be Second Kings, where Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, goes up to spend time with King Ahab, and they've got this treaty, and they said, let's go fight against Syria. I think it's Syria. And the Jehoshaphat says, hey, you know, can we seek the Lord about this? You know, I'm, I'm with you, man. We got, we're allies, but can we seek the Lord about this? And any word from the Lord? And so he brings in all these false prophets and, and they're all saying weird stuff. And Jehoshaphat turns to Ahab, he goes, don't we have any prophets of the Lord here? And I love Ahab's answer. It's horrible. I just love it because it's so human, so human. He goes, <laughs> he goes, yeah, I've got one, but he doesn't tell me anything good. <laughs> you gotta think to yourself, yeah, but if it happens, then maybe you should be listening to him. Everything that Samuel told Saul happened just like Samuel said. And yet Saul expected a different result every time, digging in his heels and taking God head on. If that's not a definition of a self-destructive heart, I don't know what is. I mean, that's madness. It's like Jacob getting his hip knocked out and he's like, you know, no, I can still take him. No, I mean, Jacob at that point, is like, please don't go without blessing me. If you leave me like this, I'm done for. That's the difference between a Jacob and a Saul. Both of them were messed up, but one of them finally surrendered and the other one just kept fighting. Didn't realize he was dead until he was dead. It's madness. But we do it sometimes, don't we? We do the same thing sometimes. And some, like Saul, live most of their life that way. Listen, don't destroy everything you've worked so hard to build because you're building your own foundation. Psalm 127, we read it a couple times in the last few chapters of 1 Samuel, is that unless the Lord build the house, they that labor to build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord is the one who's watching over you, then those that keep watch, watch in vain. It's, it's a waste of time. Now, the fact that Saul orders a retreat here that they flee means that he still somehow thinks that he could escape God's words yet again. And just like every other time, it doesn't work. Look at verse 2. And the Philistines followed hard upon Saul. The phrase there, followed hard upon, it's the same word used in Genesis 2.24 when it says, and a man shall leave his mother and father and shall cleave to his wife. The word cleave, it's the same word here. The idea here is they were they, they were fleeing, the Israelites were fleeing, but the Philistines were determined not to let them get away. They followed hard upon Saul in particular. They were catching up to him, overtaking him and upon his sons. And the Philistines slew three of Saul's sons. Saul had four sons. Ishbosheth had been left behind to govern things in Saul's absence. We'll get to know him a little better when we get to 2 Samuel. But he's the only one left after this. Jonathan, Abinadab. Melchishua, Saul's other three boys are all, all dead. Jonathan will get his meaningful goodbye in 2 Samuel from David. But even knowing that that's coming, this still feels so unnecessary. Like, did you ever read about Jonathan and then this like feels like, that's it? 
That's just it? That's, that's over? Jonathan's done? I mean, it's just this guy who took on Philistines and outnumbered him, and you know, and he was this godly man, and then, and then this is it. That's it for Jonathan. They're all just dead and gone from the scene. One of the problems with having a self-destructive card is that it tends to create pain and destruction for the people who are closest to you. Sin is never in a vacuum. It just doesn't work that way. God designed us to be connected, and thus my sin affects those I'm connected to. Sometimes it does so in very awful ways, like here. Don't ever fool yourself into thinking that the only one with the consequences for your sin is you. Because whether it's intended or not, it will affect those who are closest to you. And sometimes, not all the time, but sometimes, that means people who love God miss out on their hopes and dreams too. Jonathan never planned to die on this battlefield. I mean, he was a warrior. He was one of the highest ranking soldiers in Saul's army. I'm sure he expected that he might die on a battlefield someday, but not here, not like this. Jonathan's dream, his plan, was to be David's right-hand man when David became king. That's what he told David. When you're king, I'll be right by your side supporting you. I personally wonder if David would have made some of the mistakes he did as king if Jonathan was by his side instead of that joker named Joab. But this dream of Jonathan went unfulfilled because of Saul. Now, while Saul survives this initial engagement, harassment from the Philistines, he doesn't get away unaffected. Verse 3 says, and the battle went sore against Saul. It became heavy. They were killed his sons, who obviously would be fighting to protect him. And so they get through there, and so the battle is thick around Saul. I mean, there's fighting right where Saul's at. And then it mentions that the archers hit him. As the battle is moving heavy towards Saul, the archers actually locate Saul's position. And it says here that he was sore wounded by the archers. The archers were aiming at his location, and he knew there was no escape. That's why he's trembling greatly. And so, in verse 4, Saul decides to destroy himself before the Philistines can. It says, Then Saul said unto his armor-bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised come and thrust me through and abuse me. It is a bit ironic to me that the man who Saul turns to end his life, turns to to end his life, is in the position that David used to have. The man who had been by Saul's side and together they had defeated many Philistines. David's not here now because Saul drove him away. He turns to this other man and he says, kill me, stab me through with a sword. Lest the Philistines, they don't just kill me, but they abuse me. The word abuse comes from a word that means to go over a second time. In other words, they're not just going to cut me once. Saul did not want to be slowly killed through torture. And so he said, just put an end to my life. Now, before we get to the armor bearer's response, I think that does bring up an important question. Is a looming threat like very likely torture in the future, a valid reason for suicide? Is there ever a valid reason for suicide? 
Well, the armor bearer's response, I think, gives us a clue to the answer to that question. For it says, but his armor bearer would not, for he was sore afraid. Phrase sore afraid means to be frightened in the highest degree. It's a phrase that's most often used when the Lord appears to somebody through an angel or something like that. Saul may have been terrified of torture, but this man was terrified of something greater than that. Now, we're going to sneak peek 2 Samuel. Turn over to 2 Samuel chapter 1. I want to read to you some other verses that will help us to understand what it means when it says this armor bearer was very afraid, frightened to the highest degree. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, beginning in verse 5, there was a young man who comes to David and his men to report that Saul is dead, that Saul and his sons are all dead. And he brings the crown of Saul. And so verse 5, David said to the young man that told him, how do you know that Saul and Jonathan, his son, are dead? And the young man that told him said, as I happened by chance upon Mount Gilboa, behold, Saul leaned upon his spear And lo, the chariots and the horsemen followed hard after him. And when he looked behind him, he saw me and called unto me. And I answered, here am I. And he said unto me, who are you? And I answered him, I'm an Amalekite. We'll get to that in chapter 1 of 2 Samuel, that significance. So he said unto me again, stand, or please stand over me and kill me. For anguish has come upon me because my life is yet whole in me. In other words, we'll see in a second when Saul does commit suicide, it doesn't work. He's still alive. He's worried about this torture still. So he tells him, kill me. Verse 10. So the Amalekite says, I stood upon him and slew him because I was sure that he could not live after that he was fallen. And I took the crown that was upon his head and the bracelet that was on his arm and I've brought them hither unto my Lord. Look at verse 14. David said unto him, How are you not afraid to stretch forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Same word. David says two very important things in his question to this Amalekite. He says, Why weren't you afraid of doing this like the armor bearer was? And he reminds the man that Saul was the Lord's anointed. In 1 Samuel chapter 26, verses 9 through 11, you remember when Saul, uh, David and Abishai sneak into Saul's camp when God supernaturally put them all to sleep, right? And they sneak into the camp and Abishai says, let me smite him through. I just one shot and he'll be dead. Your problems will be over, man. And David says to him, no, do not strike him. He said for, well, let me read it to you. I think it's 26 is what I said, 26. Verse 9, and David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can stretch forth his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? That's, remember, why, did you, why was it okay for you to hit, kill the Lord's anointed? But then there's a second point. When he says, why weren't you fearful of doing that? David said, furthermore, as the Lord lives, the Lord shall smite him, or his day shall come to die, or he shall descend into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should stretch forth my hand against the Lord's anointed That was David's mind, his reasoning for why he would not kill Saul. It was wrong. God's the one who determines the day of death. And then secondly, he was God's anointed. And so David reverenced God enough that he wouldn't do it. You see, the fear of God is what the Amalekite lacked 
and what the armor bearer had and why their response to Saul's command to kill him was very different. Now, Saul did not fear God, so he thought suicide was a viable option. But just as striking down God's anointed wasn't a viable option, neither was suicide, even though a torturous future was very likely for Saul. There are many reasons that people commit suicide. Some are rooted in anger, and they do it as a way to get back at others. Some are rooted in hopelessness. Some are rooted in an inability to see beyond the pain to what God and his goodness can still give. But whatever the reason, it's never done in the fear of God. And that is why, no matter the reason, whatever difficult future awaits, suicide is never a viable option for the Christian. Never. Can a Christian struggle with not wanting to live? Certainly. <laughs> Paul did. <laughs> In 2 Corinthians 1.8, Paul says he despaired even of life. In 2 Corinthians 1.8, he talks about this challenging time in the ministry for him and his team. He says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure. You ever felt like you've been squeezed so much that nothing's left that can come out? Pressed out of measure, above strength. It was more than we could handle. Insomuch that we despaired even of life. So, we do see Christians struggle with not wanting to live, with not wanting to go on. But if we keep reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, we see how Paul dealt with that struggle. In verse 9, right afterwards, he says, but, even though that's what we felt like, but we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God which raises the dead, who delivers us from so great a death and does deliver, in whom we trust that he will yet deliver us. Suicide wasn't an option for Paul because it's never the Lord's will. Never. Suicide is wrong. And as we see in the next verse, it brings harm to those around us. Look at verse 5 in 1 Samuel 31. It says, therefore Saul took a sword and fell upon it. And verse 5 says, when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he fell likewise upon his sword and died with him. Now, this has always confused me. Why would the armor bearer, who is not okay with Saul killing himself, suddenly be okay with killing himself? <laughs> well, you have to understand something. An armor bearer wasn't just the guy that carried your armor around. It's not like this guy was just walking around saying, you still need it, you still need it, you still need it. That's, that's not what it means to be an armor bearer. You were like a, a right-hand man. A, you were the person's most trusted assistant, usually a high-ranking military man yourself. And your job was to be a living shield so that no one could harm the one that you were protecting. For an armor bearer to survive a battle where their charge did not, <laughs> it meant being executed for failing at your job. Saul's suicide is essentially this man's death warrant. And so while he hadn't given up hope before, Saul's death caused him to despair as well and take his own life. Did you know that the World Health Organization, for all of its reliability, 
Do you know that the World Health Organization has media guidelines for reporting high-profile celebrity deaths? I've always wondered. I'm like, why don't they tell us what happened? I, I found out why this week. They have media guidelines. They suggest that the press refrain from describing the exact method of death because if it's a suicide or if it's even suspected that it's a suicide, it encourages others to commit suicide. A study released by researchers at Columbia University in 2018 stated that there was a 10% increase in suicides for four months after Robin Williams committed suicide. That's crazy. Males and persons aged 30 to 44 were the group that had the greatest increase in excess suicide events. People who could relate to some of the things that Robin Williams was going through. There is no such thing as a suicide that doesn't affect and certainly doesn't hurt other people. It leaves loved ones in great pain and it can drive others to a place of despair. If you are struggling with suicidal thoughts or not wanting to live anymore, please, please reach out to someone. Please get help for your own sake and for the sake of those who love you. Because no one wins when a suicide occurs. My life has not been touched by that event. But unfortunately, I've had to minister to those I'm glad I get to, but sad for those who have. Folks that go through something like that are never the same. So if you're struggling, please reach out to somebody. I am so glad for the folks who reached out to me when I had my deepest struggles with depression. Verse 6 sums it up. So Saul died, and his three sons, and his armor bearer, and all his men that same day together. All his men, First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 6, explains that it was all of his family members who went to the battle. Some Israelis did escape, as we'll see shortly. Now, this does mean that two of Saul's family members were not present here. Saul's fourth son, I already mentioned, Ishbosheth, but someone else, surprisingly, is absent. Saul's general, Abner. We're going to see him later on in Second Samuel. I don't know why he wasn't here in what seems to be one of the most important battles Israel's ever fought. I have no clue. The Bible doesn't tell us. Ishbosheth was running the kingdom, so that makes sense, but I have no idea why Abner wasn't there. So if you want to know, you're going to have to ask Saul when you get to heaven. Which brings me on to a final topic on suicide before we move on. Because I said that last sentence the way I did on purpose. You will have to ask Saul when you get to heaven because I have every reason to believe that Saul is in heaven. In 1 Samuel 28 verse 19, it mentions there that Samuel says to Saul, you and your boys will be with me this time tomorrow. Now, I understand there's lots of different viewpoints on what actually is going on there, but I can tell you this. The word of God was true there. What happened, what he said would happen, happened. I know Samuel's in heaven, and we know that at least Jonathan is in heaven. And so the way that that statement is written, I have every reason to believe that Saul is being grouped with these other people who are in heaven, which leads us to believe that's where Saul is. Now, some object to that, of course, because they say, well, Saul, man, he was so disobedient to the Lord for his whole life. Yes, and I've 
met believers who are similar. But others object to that view by saying, yeah, but he committed suicide. A person can't repent of suicide. They're dead. To which I would answer, I think you don't understand salvation. We are not saved by our ability to repent of every sin we ever commit. If that's the case, none of us are going to heaven. We are saved by Christ's completed work on the cross, certainly not by my completed work here. We are saved by turning from our sins and placing our trust in Christ. And sadly, that means some of us, like David, go to the grave with some things that were never dealt with. I would dare say there may be a lot of us that go to the grave with some things that we never dealt with. Samson is another man in the Bible who committed suicide. We know he's in heaven because he's listed as a person of faith in Hebrews 11.32. And so while suicide is wrong, it creates horrible pain for others and is never to be a viable option for a Christian, suicide in and of itself does not void one's salvation. But I can tell you this, it will destroy more than you if that's how you finish your life. So please, repent. Please yield to God's ways. Don't do this to yourself and to the others around you. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will Ramirez, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. If you have any spiritual or physical needs, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at 407-523-0800 during our office hours, Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live. In the word. Three star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to, he understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.